Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, happy new year. I hope it's been good for you so far. Uh, in a moment, we'll have our annual highlights, our predictions special. But first, I wanted to let you into some good news. Produce some apps and music, if you please. Well, the Media Podcast is going weekly. Starting from the 4th of February, we'll be with you every Friday with the latest media news and insights from your favourite independent media podcasts. And because we're well aware of how much talk of BBC charter renewal negotiations we can all take, we'll also be bringing in new voices from across the industry to inspire you to greatness. Uh, but we can only take this step with your support. So if you can afford to, please join us on the new Patreon. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash media pod. Now, as the country opens up again, we're looking to build a proper community with you, our listeners. And this is very much just the beginning. So head over to patreon.com slash media pod and be the first to hear more. Right on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast, your guide to the top UK media stories of the week. I'm Matt Deegan and this is our sixth annual prediction special where we invite a select group of media professionals to look ahead at the trends that will define 2022. Get ready to hear about AVODs, the rocky road ahead for the BBC and much, much more. Plus, we'll also hold our pundits to account for what they said last year. That's all to come in today's Media Podcast. And joining me to start this year, uh, we welcome back The Guardian's Jim Watson, and we have a new guest on the show, Hannah Russell from podcast consultants Mags Creative. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Happy to be here. We're going to start this media trend special looking at the medium we are using right now, the medium of the podcast. Uh, you're from the team behind the hit show Deliciously Ella. Um, so Mags Creative have been around for quite a while now. Have you found it's changed over the past few years? We've been around since 2018, so yeah, a while, but still feel relatively young. And it's definitely changed. It's changed so much. I mean, when we were were starting out, we we work a lot with influencers and, and people with audiences on other platforms. And transferring those audiences from existing platforms over to podcasting was much, much easier. And I think what we found over the course of those four years is that it's just not enough anymore to be someone with a with an audience on social or or elsewhere and just launch a podcast. It's it's really not enough. So yeah, that's been one of the big changes. But I think kind of exciting new content developments, bigger audiences, it's 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 grown. Okay, well let's start with your first prediction for twenty twenty two. if you want to start with a safe one, that's fine. If you want to go all in uh, up to you uh, prediction number one what have you got oh god no pressure um <laughs> so i think my first prediction for this year is that podcasts and tv become more than just siblings who share the same house and i think what i mean by that is i think that the link between those two industries is going to deepen in various ways so i think we've we've seen that you know, we've got companion shows to existing TV shows launching in podcasts and they do do really, really well. But I think there are going to be ways of working together that kind of exist outside of that. So we're going to look at maybe some of the larger TV production companies making big hires to build out their podcasting teams. I think people realise now podcast and TV, not the same thing, different kind of production skills. But I think there's also going to be a kind of genuine content development opportunity for TV companies. And we've talked about that for a while. So, you know, we've heard it's cheaper, it's easier, but it is cheaper and it is easier. And I think with the kind of continuation of the pandemic and and the restrictions and cost implications that COVID has on TV development, 
I think there are really going to be some opportunities for for TV companies and podcast companies to work together to test ideas quickly to build audiences to see how talent perform and I think the interesting thing for me is that for TV companies you know we I've talked and, and thought for a while that actually sometimes the you know the commercials don't make sense but I think what they're looking at here is long-term IP ownership so building something either in-house or in partnership with a podcast company retaining more of that ownership than you would in a TV deal and suddenly you're sort of building out the content and IP arm of your business and I think that's going to start to happen over the next couple of months. Because with the chats I've had from with TV companies they often see the the podcast thing as a nice extra to have. Do you think you're, you're saying it's, it's going to become much more front and centre of, of what they're doing? Definitely. And I think that comes with, you know, podcasting, is it a bubble or is it here to stay? And I think actually it is sticking around. Obviously, that's my prediction. I've bet my whole business on it. But I really do think that. And I think, you know, audio off screen, the whole move away from spending hours and hours looking at screens I think podcasts are going to play into that and podcasts are are going to grow as a result and so as a tv company I would be looking at ways to diversify the type of content I make and test things before I do it as well so I think those relationships are going to get deeper it's going to be collaboration it's going to be hiring maybe some small acquisitions because I mean there's a lot of kind of indie podcast companies maybe with some of the bigger tv development companies but I think yeah it's going to get more serious. Jim Watson welcome back what have you got for us then? Prediction number one. Uh, prediction number one is this is the year that uh, the BBC will actually successfully close a broadcast channel, uh, even when <laughs> all of the inevitable backlash, politicians kicking off about it, viewers bemoaning it and wanting to cancel their license fee, they will actually go, we're going to have to make a saving, we're going to actually do this properly, and something that we know and love will vanish from the airwaves. So this is closing something down and then not even reopening it later on. Yeah, I mean, that's the normal way that they do this. Or, you know, Tim Davey in 2010 went, well, we can't have the Asian network and Six Music. And in the process, accidentally doubled Six Music's entire listening figures in a year. You know, I think this time he will actually see something through exactly what that will be. Well, I'm not foolish enough to name a particular service because that, that is just going to destroy me when you come back to these at the end of the year. What, okay, then, if, if, you, if you're not going to say that, what do you think is potentially on the chopping board? Well, I would be worried if I was at Five Live. I think some of the chatter around things like BBC Two are a bit crazy because you can just run those down and, and fill them with cheaper content rather than closing them. There's no real purpose in doing that. But, you know, if you're if you're at a national station that isn't one of the really core offering and you're not seen as a sort of bit of public service thing like Radio 3, I, I, I would be worried for something like Five Live because I think it's the one you can make the argument that a lot of what it offers is replicated elsewhere. And if you're going to have to try and make tens of millions in savings, it's the sort of thing. But it's one saving grace there is it's in Salford, which then becomes politically tricky. So God knows where it's going to be. But I think there will be a hole in the airwaves uh, by the end of the end of the year, at least one planned. OK, that's um, that's a good prediction. Uh, BBC, of course, uh, have likely have got to save a couple of hundred million pounds uh, this year and next year. Uh, not something they can put off. So it's probably going to have to really cut into uh, real programming rather than mystical back office costs. OK, prediction number two, Hannah. So my second prediction is that I think there is still space for some of the biggies, some of the tech biggies to go big into podcasting. And I think it's going to be FOMO or it's going to be strategic, but I think there's there's still space for that to happen. So you've got YouTube, Netflix, Facebook, rumblings, Google, obviously, we've got Google Podcasts, but are they going to do it properly? Is there going to be some kind of strategic thinking behind that? And I think, you know, particularly with Netflix, having what I just talked about in my first prediction, budgets for show development, thinking about kind of viewing it as a real kind of content factory. I hate that phrase, but I can't think of a better way to phrase it than that. And so I think some of those big tech companies moving into the space, into the podcast space. And I think with that, there is still some room for consolidation. So maybe there's still some acquisitions to happen. Obviously, most of the at scale players have been bought already. So Wondery to Amazon, Podcast to Spotify, but maybe a kind of collective of, of some of the smaller indies being bought by one of those big tech giants in order to kind of make their entrance, I think is not out of the question this year. 
Interesting for other platforms get involved in podcasting. Netflix made a hire from Apple, didn't they, this year? And they're sort of building out like a little podcasting portfolio. Google have gone very quiet on the podcasting front. Google Podcasts, I think the teams have all changed, have moved. The the, the, the people have sort of disappeared. Um, but then the thing that they have done at Alphabet is YouTube have hired a, a big head of podcasts. I mean, do you think that YouTube is going to be the new destination for podcasters? I think YouTube is already a destination for podcasters and I think it's a discovery destination and I think it's vastly underrated and and I think the the cost the marginal cost of distributing podcasts on YouTube and using it as a part of a an audience growth strategy for for a podcast is is really worth it but I think you're probably looking at YouTube or Netflix kind of really or both hopefully coming into the fray and sort of shaking things up a bit and potentially having the kind of strategy to become a really major player maybe more quickly than say Spotify has done because I think there's a lot of momentum behind both of those platforms in different ways that could really help them to become quite important in the podcasting space. Well, Netflix made a bit of a splash or starting to make a splash in games. They launched in kind of a games app um, around some of their IP and then uh, one of their acquisitions. And I think this is all set against the backdrop of the move to kind of off screen. So the idea that we're spending eight hours a day uh, working from home and actually that screen fatigue has been a thing for a really long time, but it's really coming to roost. And so I think, you know, these platforms where screen time is the currency... I don't think it's a silly bet to kind of bet on some of that screen time being diverted, both for reasons of wellness and health and mental health, but also just for practical reasons to audio kind of content. So I think it might not be a huge part of their businesses to start with. But if I was looking at the way the kind of world is going, I would certainly be wanting to put some of my uh, hats in that ring. Uh, And prediction number two, uh, what are you going for, Jim? Okay, this is the one that is a, is a coin toss and it's going to come back and haunt me, but <laughs> I think the government's just going to kick the Channel 4 privatisation into the long grass and we'll forget that it was ever a thing that we spent about a year talking about. I mean, every bus around me has an advert about why Channel 4 is brilliant and different, which honestly, I sort of feel like it's aimed at about me and about three other MPs <laughs> because, because I can't believe any normal member of the public is going, why is it just sort of corporate channel four advertising all over london at the moment uh and i do slightly feel like you know have they worked out where the media correspondents of this country live and are just targeting those bus routes but i I feel that we're getting you know i used to be a political reporter um i feel we're getting a bit close to an election the bbc stuff has shown that it's not necessarily the straightforward win that you'd think And I also don't think that the Tory support base care that much about privatising Channel 4. And it was always John Whittingdale, the former broadcast minister's pet project. So if I were the government, I'd just pick a different battle. And and if I want to pick a battle with the media, I'd battle the BBC because everyone has a view on the BBC. Whereas I think one of the weirder things with Channel 4 is, is often the view of it is driven by politicians who deal with their news output. And most of the public, I don't think, maybe this isn't a good thing for Channel 4, but I think most of the public don't necessarily have a strong opinion on it. They might watch it and enjoy some of it. They might not. They might dip in for grand designs. They might not. But the idea that there's any great clamour outside of a small section of the industry and a few MPs in Parliament for it to be privatised, it just feels like why would you take up all of your time doing that about a year and a half out from a general election? On the public front, Obviously, there's only really Channel 4 news, I think, that the public maybe think about most don't ever watch it. Um, And also, obviously, Channel 4 doesn't cost the government any money because all the cash comes from advertising. Tell that to Nadine Doris. Well, then the other week she said um, she was amazed to find out that young people watch television on YouTube. (laughs) Who knew? Uh... Will the Channel 4 consultation outlive Doris as culture secretary? in the sense that it'll be on permanent hold forever yes possibly she has a career as culture secretary that could be measured in weeks or could be measured in a few months but i liked how when she was announcing the the criticism of the bbc in the house of commons uh, the other day that she just kept repeating well frankly i won't be around here to implement any of these decisions anyway so uh it was very much i'm announcing something but there's no way i'm seeing this one through <laughs> um which must be a fun position you can just make all sorts of announcements and 
not have to deal with the consequences. Uh, like all good government ministers, just don't stick around long enough and you'll be all right. I mean, Hannah, a lot of talk about the BBC there. Do you think much about the BBC and what the BBC are doing? Does it affect you guys? I think enough about the BBC, but I think Jim's point around, you know, the general public and Channel 4 is absolutely spot on. At no point have I ever had strong feelings towards Channel 4. And and I think essentially, you know, the idea that there's a whole group of us out here really, really caring about whether it continues to be publicly funded or not is is just not, not the case. I mean, you don't really see on Twitter people saying hashtag defund Channel 4, do you? Exactly. It's, it's not really a thing. And I think, you know, that whole conversation is going to probably just fade into the background. Uh, Have you got a final prediction for us? I have a final prediction and I would say my final prediction is more of a business opportunity than than a, a prediction because I think that this is the year when the independent podcast creator is going to get a bit more attention and should get a bit more attention. So, you know, we talk often in the podcast industry about the top 1% of shows, the shows that are reaching, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of listeners. But actually, that other 99% is a huge opportunity and is only set to grow this year. So ACAST did some research recently that said 10% of the UK population was planning to start a podcast this year. And I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how good their data is, but if you take that at face value, that's another 6 million podcasts coming into the ecosystem this year. It's going to be a range of quality. It's going to be a range of topics. But all of those people are dedicated enough to often find a microphone, work out how to do it, get an RSS feed and upload it. And I think those people are going to both deserve and and require more attention in terms of the services that they want. We've obviously got hosting platforms. It's an open ecosystem, but where's the education? Where's the monetization for smaller audiences? There's there's rumblings of this and it's sort of starting, but I think it's going to really gain pace if that market grows at the pace that we're, we're looking at, at it growing at. So are you saying that um, those people will need kind of more services to help them cut through? Because obviously one of the, the, the problems for podcasting always discovery. And if you've got a lot of people spending a lot of money at the top, how do great shows that are secrets basically um, cut through to the public? I think it's cut through, but I don't think I'm under any illusions that, you know, a large percentage of those six million independent podcasts are going to become big hits. I think what it is, is that these individuals have decided to make a podcast and their audience that they want to reach might be 100 people a month. But actually, they want to do that really professionally. So it's around the recording tools, it's around the editing tools, making that as easy and seamless as possible. It's then around how do they create those assets really simply and easily for social promotion. And I think that's already starting to happen. But what about kind of continued growth or, you know, monetization of of bunching together lots of different smaller shows and, and helping them to monetize their shows within particular niches. And I think it's a huge opportunity because you've got essentially the 99% of podcast creators out there who I believe are being underserved. Thank you again, Jim and Hannah. We'll see you soon, but you'll have to be with us next January to see how you fared and we will be catching up with you. Next up, we head over to our very own Mystic Maggie. That's Maggie Brown, media writer and author of the official history of Channel 4 for her media trends for 2022. Well, my first prediction is that I am excited by uh, Deborah Turness, uh, the, the new chief executive of BBC News, who's been appointed, I think, to bring fresh blood, a fresh eye, and, and most certainly she will bring a dynamic presence. Now, she um, was uh, recruited back by ITN um, only last year from different rolling news channels. We're seeing now uh, the, 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 the decision by Laura Koonsberg to move on, um, Hugh Edwards, I think, as well. Um, I would think that there's going to be quite a changing of the guard at the BBC. And what I would love to hope happens is that I'm really fed up with the sort of idents of BBC uh, news, you know, the way you get the dum-dum-dum and the, the red lines sort of trying to make you feel you're part of a globe. That, that intro has been around, I don't know, for probably two decades, maybe more, and it's just got very stale. So I say to her, I hope that she just gives the whole thing a good, um, how can I put it, a shot of dynamism. My second prediction is that I think we are finally going to see an online safety bill, a comprehensive online safety bill. 
I, I would expect later this year, although you can never be sure. This has been championed by the Conservative MP Damien Collins, and there are other very strong people in the House of Lords. Um, Baroness Beban uh, Kidron is a key champion of, of, of the, for the protection of, of, of children from pornography and other uh, unsuitable uh, material. It has been through the committee scrutiny stage. If the plans go ahead, um, we will know in April. My third prediction is I, I, f I feel that something will happen to ITV, and I'm not exactly sure. It sounds a bit strange because it clearly has been the neglected commercial channel which has public service broadcasting obligations, obviously. It's actually doing pretty well for advertising-funded television. I mean, clearly the lockdown periods have been huge, huge bonuses for the streaming services, the subscription services, which have tempted so many households to watch more and more of their very addictive content, which I'm only too aware. But whether anybody attempts a takeover bid, it's always been assumed it was too complicated, or some other expansion of the ITV empire happens, I, I just have a, a sense that uh, people are waking up to this, uh, it, to its potential, because it does have uh, a strong studio base and it does have popular formats which it can both devise and then monetize. So it, it's been evolving quite slowly. Lots of things are in train. Some things, Brickbox, for example, a, a, a subscription service, is not particularly catching on in this country, but it is catching on as a niche addition in, in, in America, for example. So this is probably the shakiest of my predictions, but it is a prediction that something will happen. My only final thought is this studio um, expansion, I, do, I don't see how it can continue to be very much a phenomenon of the outer London and the home counties uh, areas, even though, as we know, Lord of the Rings is, is, is taking over a big empty space. I think it's in Hertfordshire. But this geographical focus, I think, is, is almost bound to take in other parts of the UK simply because of the cost of land and, and studios. Although, of course, a lot of these players like Netflix seem to have limitless pockets. But some parts of the UK will start to see more activity. Jake Cantor, media correspondent for The Times, joins me now. Hi, Jake. Hello. So we love... Happy New Year. <laughs> thank you very much to you too. Are, um, are we allowed to tell, say that? Or do you subscribe to Larry David's uh, deadline of January the 7th? <laughs> I wouldn't want to disagree with him, not in person uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> looking, We like getting you on for your predictions each year. Um, I'm just having a quick look at last year to try and give you a bit of a score. So you started off with... Uh, Oliver Dowden will kickstart a PSB revolution. I did say that, and uh, it was nice and vague, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I think I was probably right on that front. Okay. Uh, I mean, look, we've got uh, a, a, an ongoing review of public service broadcasting uh, by the government, which is being conducted by a, a fairly shadowy group of uh, TV uh, executives and Illuminati. We're not entirely sure what they're talking about behind closed doors and quite how their recommendations and observations are going to manifest themselves. But we will probably hear more this year about the work that they have been doing and how that will shape policy uh, over the coming years. Uh, yes, and Oliver Dowden then obviously kicked himself out of that revolution by um, being reshuffled like all good DCMS ministers are. He was reshuffled very dramatically in September. Uh, <laughs> it all happened live at uh, the Cambridge Convention, uh, the, uh, the RTS Cambridge Convention. For a period of a few hours, there was a will he come, will he not come? And this all <laughs> this all played out in the press room, which was... Uh, very entertaining. Uh, ultimately, of course, he did not come and his speech was handed to John Whittingdale to deliver. 
And uh, John Whittingdale gave an interview to the Eye uh, a couple of weeks ago in which he basically said he appeared to indicate that he didn't massively agree with some of the things that the speech said. And I think he said, it wasn't me who bloody wrote the thing. (laughs) And then he himself didn't really make it past the next 24 hours. He was sacked the next day. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to know the government uh, cares so much about the media sector, isn't it? Yes. I mean, look, it's not like we've got big things going on that are going to shape the whole industry for decades to come. And then we've got another prediction. The BBC will close a TV channel this year. Yes, I seem to make this every year and get it wrong every year. Um, What the BBC has done quite cleverly, and I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before actually, is um, instead of closing a TV channel and having to deal with the furore that that entails... They have quietly hollowed out BBC Four. Mm. Uh, basically, a, a BBC Four is now eighty-six percent, something like over eighty percent repeats, and barely anyone has kicked up a fuss. Um, so they've taken that budget, that resource, and put it into BBC Two and BBC One uh, and BBC Three, which is relaunching uh, on February the first, and. Uh, you know there's there's been barely a a bad word said about it so it's quite a clever strategy of the bbc to redirect resource and not have to deal with the consequences of people getting angry people only watch chop the pops on it anyway don't they oh do you know what i've never i have (laughs) never been a big bbc4 viewer i don't know what uh, that 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 may tell its own story uh, you and most of the country. Uh, also, I suppose they trimmed down BBC Parliament as well. Uh, lots of discussion about whether they keep that or turn that off or make it online only as well. Um, so, yeah, so lots of lots of cutbacks, but they keep the channels going. And as you said, are going to create a new one. Well, rebirth one uh, later yeah. this year. Yeah, so not <laughs> only was I wrong, they're actually launching a channel. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we'll be back, Jake, with your predictions for 2022 in just a moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And just before we head back to Jake's predictions, we recorded this interview about a week ago, just before Nadine Dorries announced that the government intends to remove the BBC's licence fee in 2027. Just keep that in mind. Now sit back and enjoy the prescience of Mr Jake Cantor. Uh, so I've got a couple of BBC predictions, actually, uh, for the year ahead. And uh, I think the big one that we're probably going to see a bit more of this year is ministers, I think, signalling the end of the licence fee. Okay. Um, we are going into a period where they're going to uh, start mid-term charter review, which is essentially a half-time team talk on the BBC's future. And while ministers can't scrap the licence fee for the next five to six years, uh, because it's enshrined in the charter, uh, which lasts over a decade, what they could do is uh, suggest that the next time the BBC's charter is up for renewal which will be 2027, the BBC will have to find an alternative means of income. Uh, 
we are seeing Tory backbenchers uh, calling for the end of the license fee with more ferocity and um, strength of feeling than I think I've ever seen before. And we have not got uh, the government disagreeing particularly with that ambition. And uh, I think we will start to see this play out in a bit more of a meaningful way over the next 12 months. Okay, so some more action uh, on the BBC uh, from the government. We had uh, Mr Peter Bone uh, speak uh, in uh, PMQs uh, this week, uh, and we also had uh, some um, national anthem-based chatter as well, which obviously is at the kind of the crappier end of BBC discussion. Um, But interesting, I thought that Peter Bone thought it was a good opportunity to talk about that whilst um, giving Boris a rest from his um, party gate attacks. Well, it's a good distraction technique. I mean, if uh, you know, if the government is under siege, which it is this week, um, the BBC is an easy target. <laughs> Do you think the BBC will push back strongly or be meek and mild as it kind of normally is? The BBC's position is that the licence fee remains the most sensible way of funding the BBC. Uh, now, you could argue that the BBC would argue that uh, because it's a a, a fixed income which guarantees it uh, a level of support from the entire country but I think what what you'll see the BBC saying is you know is there the mechanism and the ability to deliver funding for the BBC through alternative means Uh, the suggestion is that universal broadband is not uh, as uh, well established in the UK as it should be for there to be a sort of switch over to online you know, subscription effectively. Um, and I think you'll see some of those arguments definitely play out um, from the BBC. Uh, okay, and prediction number two? So I wanted to go from sort of a big macro prediction to something a bit more focused. And um, it just struck me that we, you know, we had the first Andrew Marr show without Andrew Marr. Um, at the weekend and uh, it's going to be quite a high profile process to find his replacement Um, my prediction is that the uh, next person to host the BBC's flagship Sunday morning show will be it will be a woman I think you know we've had the best part of three decades of uh, of two men fronting that show David Frost and Andrew Marr Um, I think the BBC is keen to find a woman uh, to to fill those shoes all the uh, gossip at the moment suggests that Laura Koonsberg and uh, Michelle Hussein are among some of the front runners uh, for this for this position uh, Laura Koonsberg of course has announced that she is stepping down as the BBC's political editor over the Easter uh, over the Easter period and of course Sophie Rayworth I don't think is to be counted out I think she did a really polished and excellent job of uh, stepping in and keeping the seat warm and potentially for her, a, a lot of practice at it as well over the next uh, few months, whilst they they make some decisions. So she's definitely going to be in the running. So are are you are you going to who are you going to plump for, Laura Kay? Are you going to push? You going to push yes. me for for one? <laughs> um, I actually think it might be Michelle. That's based on pure speculation. I don't have sources are not telling me that at this point. But you know, if I was to to to. To hang my hat on one, it would be Michelle, I think. And someone new joining me on the show is Dan Taylor-Watt, digital consultant, up until recently director of product for the BBC's iPlayer and BBC Sounds. Hello, Dan. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. No worries. It's great for you to be here. Uh, so you had obviously quite a big job uh, up up until recently. I'm sure you've had uh, somewhat of a rest, though. I know that there's a little one that you've been uh, looking after as well. Um, so perhaps it's given you a bit of time uh, away from uh, from auntie, from, from the corporation. Uh, what are your big predictions uh, in the media world uh, for next year? So I think that the some some of the obvious easy ones are just the sheer growth in in content spend. So I was I was reading this week that the global spend is expected to go over 140 billion uh, just from the the top nine uh, media providers. So it, even Disney on its own 33 billion. And I was seeing the Lord of the Rings, the Amazon prequel uh, reboot coming in September, uh, 465 million just on that, which makes me feel. 
nostalgic about the the hundred million for House of Cards. I think specifically in the in the sort of streaming space, we obviously had a, a glut of new uh, subscription on demand services launching in the last couple of years: Disney Plus, Apple TV, uh, BritBox, Discovery Plus, etc. Uh, I'm not expecting any big big ones to 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 drop this year. I think the, it'll be a while till HBO Max uh, comes along. Uh, but I think some some trends we will see is actually an increase in in ad funded VOD. So from from new entrants. So I think that the people are you know prices are, are going up. I saw Netflix have put their their price up in the states just just this week. So I think people will start to think ha- how many. You know, video subs do I really want on my on my bill every every month? Um, I think also a, a big increase in in live streaming as well. So I think we we have seen that happen, particularly in sport, with with Amazon and Discovery investing there. I think DAZN uh, look, look like they might uh, snap up BT Sport, and uh, and of course uh, my old parish at iPlayer. Then I think that the the FIFA World Cup's likely to break a few. Uh, live streaming records there as well. So AVOD's interesting, isn't it? Because it doesn't really get the discussion that maybe the the big subscription streamers like uh, Netflix and Disney Plus do. So AVOD, uh, advertiser-funded kind of video video on demand. I suppose in the UK, like Pluto, is it? That's probably the the the, the more well well known ones. Uh, what what's their role in 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 the space now? Do you think? Well, I think so. I think Pluto is one. I think there there are a few others that sort of bubbling on under the service. I think um, Samsung TV Plus is quite interesting. So Samsung have just you know put it in their the front of their UI and done pretty well um, with just streaming, presenting it very much as linear TV channels. So there's a sort of the simplicity and convenience of of choosing those, but just serving up a, an IP stream. Um, so I think that the we will see you know Amazon's doing something separately at the moment. moment IMDb TV, um, there's Plex as well, Rakuten. So there's various kind of players, but they're they're a little bit um, under the radar at the moment. But I think that the we know that the sort of the size of the overall viewing pie is huge, and when when the price point is free bar a few ads then then that's going to be attractive i think because in america um roku channel which is obviously a combination of the the roku boxes and, and then their own uh, linear service because of their distribution um that roku channel's doing pretty well isn't it that's becoming quite a, a big part of their part of their business i think that the it's interesting some of the differences between the the us and the uk uk uh TV economies and and how Roku and and indeed Apple TV have cut through in a way there that we've got a, got a different setup here with with free TV, um, but I, I know that Roku will certainly be looking to to push into the UK more this year. Okay, what else have you got for us? So I think that the uh, you, you're encouraging me to to be bold. Um, I, <laughs> so I, th- I think co- content wise, I think the easy prediction is that there will be another um, a sort of breakout. TV hit, so the uh, the Tiger King or, or Squid Game of, of 2022. Um, it, not not exactly zero funding, but I think that the Netflix are, are doing uh, inventing Anna, which I think could be um, ba- based on a, a true story. Um, BBC Sounds did a, a podcast on it as well. I think that could be. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's the the breakout hit. Um, I think you know more back to my domain of the in terms of product development. I think uh, this is the year that um, the the battlegrounds really going to going to heat up for control of the the TV interface. So Google and Amazon are going to sell a lot more uh, TVs, or, or rather, kind of provide the uh, the user interface on a lot more uh, TVs in the market. Um, obviously, the the likes of Sky and Virgin uh, are also keen to to hang on to that experience. So I think that's uh, that's that's going to be a competitive area. Um, equally, when it comes to uh, another sort of battleground uh, for that big tech are playing out in is the in car space, and I think it's uh, the refresh cycle on that is is fairly slow. Um, but I think this this is the year we'll start to see. Android Automotive um, really kind of get installed in in more new cars, and that's that's significant because it's for the first time the experience isn't tied to your your mobile phone; it's all integrated into the dashboard. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a, an interesting challenge for for audio players, new and old. 
so traditionally, um, people are probably used to plugging in their, their phones to their um, to their cars and uh, sort of iOS appearing in the form of Apple CarPlay or Android Auto popping up. But Android Automotive is slightly different, isn't it? Though it's it's easy to get confused. It's it's that they've sort of built the operating system in the car for manufacturers, isn't it? Manufacturers sort of outsourcing how how their cars um, systems will work. That's right. Yes, it's helpful to think of it in in much the same way as on uh, mobile phones. Then Google have provided the Android operating system, and different phone manufacturers have have integrated that. They're they're looking to do something similar in car, and also in fact on on TV. So to to be the sort of the default operating system, and uh, to provide that on an open source basis, such that manufacturers can layer bits and pieces on top of that core. Uh, experience is is a really attractive proposition, especially for sort of the uh, mid mid tier um, manufacturers who can't necessarily afford all of the investment required to do something totally bespoke. So you might have heard there's been a bit of a discussion about the old BBC license fee. Nadine Dorries getting her Twitter out uh, the other day, um, saying that this will be uh, the last period where the BBC will be funded by the licence fee. And there's obviously lots of different ways that the BBC could be funded, direct grant from government, advertising, subscription services. Um, if we flash forward to the to the, the next licence term, what is the product that the BBC sort of needs to deliver consumers in, in the future to, to kind of compete with, with all, all these other services if it's forced down a sort of subscription VOD Netflix route? So I think I think the key thing is the uh, the BBC is meant for everyone and and to provide a universality and I think there are different funding mechanisms that could achieve them. I, I don't believe that subscription is one of them. I think that the subscription would fundamentally change the the nature of what the the BBC was able to do and offer, and it would become more akin to uh, uh, providers in other markets whereby it's it's much more of a niche service or, or kind of not catering for the for the wide audience so i think that the you know the license fee is is with us until 2027 i think that the um in order to compete with the very well funded new entrants in in the market then the bbc needs to continue to be to be well funded whatever the best mechanism of of achieving that but i think you know free, freezing the license fee is is would result in in an effective funding cut and that and that would play out on uh, on air online on services the bbc also has a bit of a problem because they're not allowed to borrow money to really go for it in the markets around the world um, and already there's there's some kind of BBC Studios, what used to be BBC Worldwide streaming offerings for like BBC Earth, I think, or for kids and BritBox in, in some markets. Um, do you think there is an opportunity for a, uh, a global kind of iPlayer operation? Like if they could borrow the cash to really go toe-to-toe with, with Disney or, or Netflix, do you think they're in, the, in a position to do that with, with the brand and, and their own content relationships? I think it's, it's not really a question of... of pure money on that one i think that the a lot of content deals have been done around the the globe such that the the bbc is not in a position to exploit the same catalog globally um so i think it will continue to be uh, a, a different offer in different territories which it, which is you know not uncommon for other players as well <laughs> That was Dan Taylor Watt on his views for VOD in the year ahead. And to end the show this week, we have media podcast regulars Anne Charles and Faraz Osman. Hello. Hello. Uh, so prediction time. Let's have a look at how you did last year. Anne, you're up first. You said that voice-based social media apps will be big in 2021. I guess we were talking like Clubhouse and Stereo and Twitter Spaces, those things. Do you think you were correct? I was right. Yes, they were big. They're not necessarily as big now, but they were big during 2021. We had Clubhouse had huge months in February, June, July. Spotify launched Green Room. Twitter Spaces launched and um, Facebook has launched whatever their version is in America that they haven't yet rolled out around the rest of the world. So we still don't know quite what to do with them, but they did have a moment during 2021. And what, what will happen with them this year? 
I don't think they will be as big this year. I think they've just become part of the staple things that people have in their systems. Maybe someone will decide that they're not going to do it anymore and roll it back again. But Clubhouse is bringing out more features that are useful. So I think it might move more into an alternative space of recording podcasts and things like that. Okay. Uh, I think that's true. I think Twitter Spaces had a, had a good year. I think where you've got a sort of social graph, it's much easier to get into. I'm very much aware of people popping up on Twitter Spaces with things that are sort of connected to me and my life and that I'm interested in. Whereas Clubhouse is sort of the bastard child of like LinkedIn and talk radio. I, I is it just me then in my social graph? Because all of my audio apps, Clubhouse and Twitter, just seem to be like completely populated with people trying to sell their NFT scams and like their Bitcoin. It just it just seems to de- where I'm sitting from, it just seems to have de- degenerated into like this weird pyramid scheme of, of like, please buy my NFT and, and build its value. And have you jumped into many uh, Twitter spaces slash live chat rooms? Yeah, so I played a lot on Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces in the first half of the year just to kind of get across what they were doing. And then it just became a the amount of time it was taking to run a room regularly versus the return on that time wasn't really worth it. I do. There is a regular Clubhouse room that I go into that's got nothing to do with radio. It's to do with my other world. Uh, there's a really good room run by an excellent midwife who does a different topic each week for birth workers. Um, and that's really good. And then Twitter Spaces. I think the problem with Twitter Spaces is that I'm not on Twitter to listen to audio. Mm. And despite the fact that obviously a lot of people I follow on Twitter are radio and audio people, the fact that we're not using it much mm. sort of shows that it's it's not necessarily going to be the huge thing that it it might have been but it's Maybe. still i'd still go back to the fact that my prediction was not wrong for last yes. year congratulations <laughs> we'll give you we'll give you a point for that and maybe we'll have to do a media podcast after show party simulcast on twitter spaces and clubhouse uh, later this year uh, your second prediction commercial radio will steal a couple more bbc talent yeah i there weren't as many as i thought there would be but i i think andrew marr counts mm, absolutely i think also there's been a few more People like Yasmin going from one extra to heart, and a few, a few more of those. So, I mean, global particularly have been fishing in the in the BBC Sea. Um, who do you think is likely to move? Who do you think they, they'd like to get hold of, and who do you think would would move from uh, Broadcasting House? Well, so the the two people that I am surprised haven't yet popped up there are Mark Mardell. Mm-hmm who obviously has left the BBC now, but I'm surprised that he hasn't been picked up again by anybody. And also Jane Garvey. Mm. I mean, I know the BBC's kind of kept her on, but I am surprised that nobody from LBC or uh, Global has taken the massive hints that she keeps dropping to say <laughs> that she'd be really interested um, in going there. And obviously with so many um, changes to retirement plans and redundancies mm. coming up, and also the fact that pay rises are not necessarily going to be a thing, especially for senior male talent for a while. Um, I, there are pickings to be had. So, yeah, I guess it depends on the contracts that are coming up on the commercial radio team sides as well with the talent they've already got. Yes. Well, we'll come to you on your predictions for this year in a sec. First, let's uh, mark uh, Faraz's homework. Um, a streamer will pick up MGM Studios. Wee! That's a point, right? It's <laughs> good, yeah. Amazon bought it for a cool, what was it, 8.5 bill? It's a lot of, a lot um, of dosh for not all of James Bond. Yeah, it's a bit of, the, the deal itself is a little bit odd, but they did it. It's gone. And, and it's now, uh, I don't know if uh, Jeff Bezos is going to be the lion at the beginning of, like, <laughs> of, of all MGM films now. That's what I really want to see. Or his new girlfriend wife. <laughs> maybe who knows but whatever it is i want to know what the new lion's going to be and if i can buy it on amazon prime to have it shipped to my house immediately Would it... can you get a lion shipped to your house via prime i'm sure you can, i'm sure you can um it'd be from china and it'll take three months but still yeah it'd be a knocked off lion um do you think it'd be <laughs> a good job if you were said hey Faraz, we want you to sit in the mgm archive and work out which ip we can turn into loads of series for for amazon is that would that be a cool job? I mean, that's the, that's it is maybe, maybe, but I think everyone just keeps moving back to Bond, and they're just kind of going, "What's going on there?" Because because really, like a Netflixy type series, like on Young Bond, like that they can do, or with one of the kind of other characters, be it Q or M or Picky Carrot, Picky Letter, it, it feels like that's what Amazon Prime needs to kind of really um, to to 
supplement whatever they're doing with Lord of the Rings, etc. So, so that's what everyone's expecting to see. But obviously, MGM, well, the Bond family, Eon, whatever they're called, are very protective over that IP, which I think is a bit of a shame because there's definitely an appetite to extend that brand in a way that can be done properly. So it may be that everyone's doing a bit of a let's wait and see how well Amazon treat Lord of the Rings before we let them have a go at, at our thing. My view is, is that it's a play for that because there's not really a huge amount that MGM have bar bar that one big franchise um, I mean they have more I'm being unfair but like Bond is the one that everyone talks about uh, other predictions uh, awesome storytelling will exist in the second half of the year I mean <laughs> it, it, it's uh, t- 2021 has just been bonkers right for amazing telly mm. and so um, I'm, I'm chalking this one up to a win it's you know there's been everything from Succession, sex education, Steph Let's Flats, um, like, you know, being in a pandemic and being stuck in your house has never been so brilliant. We are in a in a proper platinum age of TV, aren't we? Right. It's, it's crazy. And the reason I made that prediction is that so much stuff got put on ice and couldn't be filmed during the kind of first, let's call it big lockdown, when, when Boris was only having a couple of parties. But once he was like, everyone was raving in Downing Street, then it meant that some TV programmes could be made and... So it's just been a, a really killer year for um, for great telly, and I can't wait to see more. Then you had lots of uh, thoughts about IP. You thought the uh, that last year would be the year of IP. Ad based model will break. Um, uh, sport will become kind of more important. ITV will be hit hard. Channel Four will invest in IP. Where do you think the maybe the traditional UK broadcasters did they have a good IP year? I basically said loads of stuff in the hope that something would be right. And I think I think there's some bits that are right in that. Um, I, I think that the kind of the big IP sports story was the US Open and the Formula One mm-hmm. final, which were both kind of shared, well, not shared, Amazon gifted them to Channel 4, um, which I think was a massive uh, boon for Channel 4. And they did they did well out of that. But it's it's interesting to see that, like, literally, like the rest of us, Ian Katz and Horseferry Road are having to kind of like open up their browser and go to Amazon.com to to buy sports rights now, um, and uh, and it's it's a bit of a worry that that's having to be the case. And you know, and also and and the other part of Channel 4's IP move is their I think it's called their Global Formats Fund or something along those lines, and that started to see some programming. There's a there's a reality show about being the, being afraid of the dark or something like that that's coming out. That's their first announcement around that fund so they're they're very much playing with the the multi-revenue model should we say my understanding is that drag race has come off netflix and world of wonder are going to be doing their own app which will mean that you can be watching you need to kind of subscribe to another thing and obviously drag race is a massive bit of ip mm. and they're looking to spin that off netflix bought roll dolls mm. back catalog for an obscene amount of money so they kind of are looking to see how they can exploit that ip into something new so it's definitely you know ip is definitely the the new oil as it were um, well, in a way that it's always been but but certainly there's there's a lot of horse trading around the space well we'll be generous and give you a point for that even if it was slightly dubious um also you did say and i, and I will and i will uh, market the ip around being generous <laughs> of giving a point and, and turn turn that into a 20 episode netflix series about how how matt once gave me a point on a, on a media podcast well as long as i got some back end i don't mind uh, and finally uh, <laughs> you said that uh 2021 would be the year of uh game streaming so kind of esports uh well no actually it's not es it actually wasn't about esports. Oh, okay, more it was about more about the, the, the tech. Yeah, about the tech behind these. I mean, esports is a, is a kind of world on its on its own and um, and one that's quite dense and difficult to get into. Although I think it's really interesting to see Netflix do an incredible series around League of Legends, and I, don't, I think it's an animation series called Arcane. And if no one's seen it, it's it's brilliant. You don't need to be a gaming or esports fan to watch it. It was one of the best animations possibly that's been ever made. Wow! So do do look out for it. Um, but but aside from the whole kind of esports thing. My my prediction was around Microsoft Game Pass and Nvidia um, GeForce oh, okay. Now and so so, so cloud cloud based streaming yeah cloud based game streaming which which is a again it's a bit of a amber light mixed mixed bag in success for that prediction Game Pass you know went up by thirty seven percent but missed its targets it was I think Microsoft were hoping that they would 
do a, do an extra fifty percent. But it's been impossible to buy a games console this mm. year, despite the fact that it's been one of the biggest launches of both the Xbox and and PlayStation. And that chip shortage was was seen ahead of time. So my prediction was based around the idea that it will be supplemented by game streaming. And it's kind of happened. Google Stadia is is almost dead on arrival. No one really knows what's going on with Amazon Luna. But but GeForce Now is is kind of been the breakout hit of, of game streaming. The Nintendo Switch is what everyone's buying. And that console doesn't have the same horsepower as... It's, as its competitors, the PlayStation and the, and the Xbox. But they have started doing game streaming technology. So you can buy the game, but you don't actually have it physically on a cartridge or on your machine. It is a, a streamed game. Um, so it's interesting that they're selling that as a, as a standalone thing. And then obviously Netflix have got involved with Netflix gaming and everyone's kind of got their eyes on that to see what that ends up looking like. Um, really, it's been Apple that has has kind of stopped this and, and put cold water on it because they're not allowing it in the App Store. So that needs to settle down before we really see what that looks like. But the other side of it is is the company Take-Two who owned the publishing rights of Grand Theft Auto. They bought um, Zynga, which people may remember from Facebook games like Farmville and Word with Friends, for $13 billion dollars which is bonkers. I mean, that's like, you know, almost twice the price of what MGM was bought for. So, you know, this get, this space is still absolutely massive and the amount of money that's spilling around in it is is huge. I mean, pe- people for, people forget that gaming as a, as a sector is bigger than movies anyway, isn't it? It's a, it's a, huge, it's a huge entertainment sector that's, that's maybe ignored by uh, mainstream media. I don't forget, but my wife would like me to forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Stop taking over the TV to play, uh, to play the new Forza Horizon. But like, um, uh, yeah, I still think it's an amazing industry and, it's, and there is some of the most creative storytelling in there. Um, and like I said, Arcane with Netflix, the Uncharted film is coming out in cinemas next year. Sonic the Hedgehog, Pokemon, they, they are all spilling out into, into other spaces and really dominating stuff in the way that comic books did in, in the generation before. So I'm not going to give you a point for that because I think it's been a build, but not the year of. Fair enough. I'll okay. take it. Um, uh, this year, Anne, what, what, are you, what are you predicting this year? Okay, I'm not feeling massively confident about all of these, but we'll have a go. Okay, I'll get that caveat in. So start off with a, um, an easy one. The BBC licence fee settlement will be a cut in real terms and will not be not be good news to the BBC. I also think that they will not to do enough to mark their 100th anniversary. They might have a few programmes here or there, but they won't go as big on it as they could do. They could do a lovely, warm, fuzzy, remind you of how important the BBC is thing, and they just won't get round to it. So I think they will underplay the 100th anniversary. Um, When it comes to speech slash talk slash news content, especially in radio, I think we'll see more convergence uh, across platforms. So we've got GB News now simulcasting on radio, talk radio, they're going to launch talk TV. So I think there'll be more overlap of content going on between those. I'm not confident about this, but I think LBC could be doing more in the visual definitely more in the visual space but maybe they might start simulcasting on the telly i don't know i'll, I'll put that out as a wild card um go, but go i then. think so that are, are, do, you, do you think do you think lbc will will be available in a tv channel like form yeah i'll go as far as that no okay we'll, never mind the platform but i think that the the obvious thing to say would be that the thing that's missing from bauer is a speech or a news-based station and i think that they won't do it because uh, interesting, so Bauer uh, acquired Communicore, which has News Talk, National Irish uh, Speech Service. They've been very music orientated in the UK, and you're saying probably it'll stay that way. I've got to put a punt out somewhere, haven't I? So I'll yeah. So yes. I'll say even no though it's the obvious thing is... for them to do, no news is is it's too expensive, okay. it's too complicated, and they don't have the studio space. Why would they bother? So there you go. <laughs> then I, at I least you've got a clip to come back to next year to go ha 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 and got that wrong. But yeah, can I ask a quick question to you both as uh, as as radio heads? Why have Sky News never launched a radio station? Why has it never gone the other way? And have they not been successful in doing audio in the same way that LBC and Talk seem to be doing pretty well in video? They have been close to launching radio stations a number of times. Um, They were going to take over uh, LBC's AM frequencies, but then it was sold to Global and then they scrapped that idea. 
Um, there was discussions with them to bring them on in some of the multiplex bids and some weren't successful or, or didn't launch. So they've been close to it all the time. Um, they sky run the IRN news service. So they do a lot of audio and actually do quite a lot of podcasts at the moment as well. But they've just never quite been in that position to to do uh, the, the full the full radio job. They but did do a simulcast at one point, though, didn't they, back in the day? Or am I misremembering? It's ITN, ITN did a radio simulcast oh, it was um, ITN. Okay. Uh, early on. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, if, if you were Sky, you know, a, a newly sort of divorced from Murdoch Sky, uh, and you're seeing what Talk TV are doing and what GB News are doing, what maybe LBC are doing, you would think, do we need to make Sky News more multi-platform? And I think GB News launch spooked them a little bit before it happened and they realised it wasn't very good or it wasn't as competitive as they maybe thought it would be. So um, you would always assume that they would think about it as, as an option. Anne, any more predictions? The other one, I think, again, it might not, it might might happen this year, might happen into next year. I think we will see broadcasters changing, uh, broadcasters and news organisations, um, media organisations changing their standard employment terms. So we'll see an organisation get rid of London waiting um, they'll move a load of people to being a permanent remote position and maybe, you know, cl- let them claim back their travel to come into work uh, to have meetings every so often. Maybe we'll see some more contracts that are standard three days a week in the office and the rest remote. But I think we'll we'll see a move away from London based salaries at, for some roles and a lot more kind of permanent work at home or permanent part time at home being the standard in a contract. That's an interesting prediction. Already people like Spotify are now sort of agnostic with where you work. It'd be interesting people bringing that into main contracts. Um, Okay, Fraz, what do you got for us? Well, as a British Asian, I'd like to keep things spicy. So I'm I'm (laughs) going to start by by pushing back on Anne's prediction about about the BBC. Um, So I I absolutely agree there's going to be a licence fee freeze. um, But I think that there's also going to be this outpouring of love for auntie I, I actually think that they are going to go big on the centenary because they will feel like it's an opportunity to remind everybody how important the bbc is and uh, and do big nostalgia heartstring pulling thing in the jubilee year um and and i think we'll i think we'll actually see quite a lot of content about how amazing the bbc is and how it's kept you entertained and educated and informed for the last hundred years so i i think the opposite i think they're going to go big on it and i think they're going to go quite hard on it and that is going to result on in in a bit of a uh, or outpouring of love to start with, and then an outcry, which will, will result from the license fee being freezed, and then having the uh, big services and probably some big brands be be cut. Um, and uh, there'll there'll more than likely be one of those petition.gov things that they that, that will happen and then quietly disappear, and and we'll see some some either big uh, big services or more likely big brands disappear. Um, so what what would the BBC if they're playing sort of tactically? What would they threaten to axe? Do you think? Well, I think children's and education is the thing that is the uh, is is the gold standard at the BBC and the thing that no one kind of really argues against. And and so there's a uh, I, I don't necessarily know if they'll they'll axe it, but I think that there'll be some certainly there'll be lots of push into that space to to celebrate it and them and kind of slightly say this is at risk if you do not kind of continue to support us. Um, I, I think a couple of big dramas will have to go. So obviously Peaky Blinders is coming to an end um, and there's there's kind of question marks over whether or not Line of Duty is going to come back. But I think we'll see less dramas um, and, uh, and and that will start and, and more repeats as a result. Um, but I think that there are kind of like legacy brands that we see. I, I, I don't want to make a prediction as to which of those brands will go for two reasons. One, because... I can't do that. And, and two, I don't think it's fair on the people working on those brands to kind of say that they're at risk. I think it's literally difficult to know what's what's going to happen. But I, I, I do think that we're going to see some stuff go and it's going to make some big splashy headlines um, based on what those shows are or what those services are. The thread of Mr. Tumble's head on a guillotine. I think Mr. Tumble's probably all right, but I, I think that there might be some other children's brands. But certainly, there's some there's some other long running brands that I think will uh, will need to be reviewed, as they like to say at the BBC, before uh, before going into consultation, uh, and then to be fine after all. Uh, what are you going for for number two? In parallel to that, I, I think Kids TV is going to have a gold rush. Kind of full disclosure, I'm the, I'm currently the chair of the BAFTA Children's Committee, <laughs> um, but I do think that this is the year for Kids TV, and and the reason for that is. Um, I, I think that streamers and SVODs are going to start pivoting quite hard from 
customer acquisition, which is where all the big dramas and the, and, and the kind of big celebs and uh, and uh, Hollywood folk kind of coming in and saying, look, you can now see their shows over here on their streamers. That's going to start pivoting into customer retention. And my belief is that the best way for customer retention, particularly on subscription services, is to get your kids to nag you. Um, so I think that we're going to see quite a lot of play in, uh, in kids TV uh, and family viewing. Uh, we've already seen that starting gun being fired with Roald Dahl and Netflix, like I mentioned earlier. But I think animation is going to be pretty massive and going to win quite hard. And we're going to see a move away from kids' content that is that is kind of purely based around merchandising and toys and Christmas, etc., into like really powerful, great programming for for children, um, which can only be a good thing. Are we going to see a renewal of the kids' content fund? I think it'll be mad if it doesn't get renewed. I think it's been so successful that I just think it's an, it's an easy win. Jackie's done an amazing job with it, and there's been some really brilliant breakout hits from it. Um, I, I think that you're going to have to see a, a retreat again, a little bit like the audio content fund. There's going to be a retreat of people, partners, and broadcasters away from Kids TV if you don't have some sort of intervention like the fund. Um, and, and so I, I will be shocked if it goes. I, I, I almost kind of think it needs to be propped up even further because it's, it's doing a great job. Well, we'll probably hear about that um, very soon. Hopefully so. And for us, thank you very much. So, um, Anne, where can people find out more about you? Uh, my website is annecharles.tv, and that's Anne without an E and Charles is in print. So annecharles.tv, and I am at C on Twitter. And Faraz, how can we stalk you? I'm at Faraz Osman on Twitter, um, and the company Goldweller is gold underscore Waller. <laughs> That's it for this special start to our 2022 season. Remember to rip out this episode and stick it in your special predictions folder to refer back to this time next year. Uh, Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please hit follow in your podcast app of choice right now to get weekly episodes from February the 4th. And come join us over at Patreon to support the show in our foolhardy bid to be around for another 15 years. Jeez. Uh, We can aim to do this with your support. Uh, To show your support, please go to patreon.com slash mediapod. That's patreon.com slash mediapod. I'm Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. We'll see you on the 4th. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.